Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. Amen. Well, that's what we're talking about right now. We're in a series that we're simply calling Multiply. We're processing through the book of Acts. We're taking a look at what the Bible has to say and how the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how the infilling of the Holy Spirit affects our lives today, 2,000 years after he first showed up on the scene. We've taken time to really process through what Jesus said to the early followers. He told them to wait for the promise, right? to go to Jerusalem, to, to hang out there. Don't go anywhere until you receive the promise. As he goes back to heaven, as Jesus ascended back to heaven, he said the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the advocate will come, will be with you. And that's what they were waiting for. And the Holy Spirit came and poured upon every one of them. Take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. This is our text for today. And everyone present, say everyone, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Now hold on to that. I'm going to talk about that kind of in detail in just a few moments. Everyone present, the 120 in the upper room in that moment that were waiting for and, and petitioning heaven or crying out to heaven, every one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in an unknown language not in their own ability, not in their own strength, not in their own education, but as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. However you know, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not so much about me, but it's me making myself available to the outpouring of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through me. Amen? Verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, that was everyone praying in an unknown language, everyone came running and they were bewildered. They were confused to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained or exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. Now, last Sunday, I took the time to process through four observations on the Holy Spirit. And I really hope that that answered a few questions. And quite honestly, I hope that it raised a few questions. Because when we have questions, what do we do? We seek for answers. I've had calls already this week or during the week of people saying, hey, I got a question. How does this work? Or how does that work? Or what's this look like? Or what's this happen in my life? What's the Holy Spirit doing with this or doing with that? And we get, begin to process through that and really allow the Word of God to come to light in all the truth that it is. By the way, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Okay. So we begin to look at the four observations. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's, it's for every one of us. You know, we can't, we can't just say it's for them then, but it's for here now as well. And again, we'll get to that in a few moments 
today. Next Sunday, we're going to begin to move forward. In fact, I've titled next Sunday's message, The Multiply Begins. And what I mean by that is we begin to see the early church, we begin to see a couple of the guys stepping out in faith. We've got Peter and John as they're on the road to the temple to a service, perhaps like you this morning, driving in and somebody was there and they were in need. We're going to find out what happened as the Holy Spirit began to work through these two great men. But today, I want to take a look at what's the proof of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what I've done, I've actually gone back to the very grassroots of what the Assemblies of God believes. What is our stance on the Holy Spirit? How, how do we know that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit? I've gone back to the bylaws, quite honestly, of what the bylaws of the Assemblies of God, what, what our foundational truths say about this infilling of the Holy Spirit. We've also got these pamphlets in the lobby. If anybody has any questions on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, obviously feel free to give us a call at the church. But also a great resource we have is called the Baptism of the Holy Spirit, our distinctive doctrine of the Assemblies of God. That will also answer a myriad of questions that I just don't have the time to cover. I can't cover every question in this moment, but I will do my best to give you as much as you can to give you a foundation to build upon. Why? Because we weren't created to function with just part of who God is. Right? We, we've talked about this, but I've got to say it again. Too many times and too many Christians are trying to function with just two-thirds of God. I don't know about you. That sounds foolish. It's, it's kind of like going out to my car and going, you know what? I only need two-thirds of this car to function. So I've got six cylinders Let's take two of them out. Let's run on four cylinders. You know what I'm saying? Let's take part of this off and part of that off. Let's eliminate this and eliminate that, and it'll be okay. Can I just tell you, I don't know a whole lot about cars, but I'm smart enough to know it's not going to function. That car's not going to start. It's not going to run right. It's going to have issues. And we wonder why so many of us, so many believers, so many Christians have issues in life because we fail to really dive in to all that God is. We know God the Father. We understand that. We have a basic understanding of who He is. God the Son, that's Jesus. He came in the manger with purpose to die on the cross. We've got that portion, but God the Holy Spirit's? You see, they're three in one. They, they can't be separated. It's an all-in package. So today, I want to talk about this infilling of the Holy Spirit. After all, the emphasis must always be on the infilling rather than the emotional experience. Now, I say that very carefully. I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I've been part of the Assemblies of God. In fact, I joke with people and tell you, if you cut me, I bleed type AG blood, Assemblies of God blood, because I am like fourth generation, third generation Assemblies of God. I've been in the church. I've, I, my parents are in the church. My grandparents, I mean, the whole bit, I've been a part of that for all this time. And there was a season, a period of time that really we emphasized the emotion more than the infilling. 
But I think we've got the right track now. I think we're on the right page now. We understand that it's more about the infilling than it is the emotional experience. Therefore, the question should not really be, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, that's an important question. We need to ask that. But the more important question should be this. How are you living your life now that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? Right? So this idea of are you filled with the Holy Spirit, that's important. Are you a Christian? That's an important question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? That's an important question. We see the early disciples talking about that. And in fact, Paul, we talked about it last week, saw the people on the coast and he said, hey, since you guys have been saved, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? An important question. But really, we got to come down to what are we doing with this life that we have in Christ? How are we functioning How are we living? How are we behaving, if you would, now that we are filled with the Holy Spirit? So today I want to look at five evidence of the Holy Spirit. Five evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start with the most difficult. I'm going to right out of the gate. Let's talk about the hardest one. Number one, you will have an unknown language. Now, some of you in the room, you didn't grow up in the Pentecostal or charismatic circle. And this idea of this unknown language, quite honestly, it weirds you out. I understand that. I get that. But the Bible tells me in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in languages they didn't know. For the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the same idea that we see occurring time and time again when people were filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't an emotional moment per se, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in an unknown language. This idea of an unknown language, or as a church has called it for years, speaking in tongues, has a tendency to scare some of us in the room. So I want to dispel a a few myths for you today. I want to share a few things with you that just are not true. How many of you know, sometimes in order to figure out the truth, you've got to figure out what's not true, right? So I want to give you just a few myths, three myths. Number one is this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues fluently from the very first day. That's just not true. Think about this. Those of you with little ones, and I I hear some little ones out here today. Those of you with little ones, the moment they begin speaking, they don't suddenly wake up one day and go, good morning, mother. Today, I would like a bottle of your finest milk. No, they don't do that, do they? They go, mama. That's a start. Or if we're really lucky, they say, dada. That's that's what we thrive for. But more times than not, it's mama. Well, it's a process of learning to speak that language. So as as you're using your prayer language, and by the way, there's two sides of this prayer language of speaking in tongues. One is your 
personal prayer language. This is my conversation with God. This is my moment of edifying my life as I speak to God and allow him to speak to me. It's my personal prayer language. Then there's the words, or there's a, uh, speaking in tongues in a public setting with an interpretation. Okay, this is going to get really deep real quick, so hang tight with me. The Bible says that in this moment, this is to edify the body. This is to help the body to understand. This is when God begins to speak to everybody. All of that is in this little pamphlet. Grab a hold of that. I don't have time to cover it all. But suffice it to say, you will not speak fluently from day one. It's, Lord, I'm trusting in you. And the Bible said that they begin to speak in these unknown languages as a spirit gave them the ability. Okay? When you're born, you have this ability to speak. But that ability has to be put into practice. How many of you said to your kids when they were little, use your words? Use your words. In other words, stop just grunting, stop just pointing, stop just crying, but tell me what you need. That's kind of what God wants us to do is, is to uh, exercise that spiritual prayer language. The second myth is this. You cannot control it. Again, that's just not true. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control. Say in control. They are in control of their spirit. In other words, you have control. It's not like suddenly you're possessed by something and you have no control. That's just not true. Number three, you will be forced to do something weird. Let me start right off the front. My God is not weird. My God's not going to force you to do something weird. Because that's not who he is. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says, They spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Who spoke in tongues? They did. They did. So no one's going to force you to do anything weird. This baptism in the Holy Spirit, this prayer language, is a gift from God for you to receive and to put into practice. Luke chapter 11 says this, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts, come on, it doesn't say you know how to give weird gifts. You don't know how to give crazy gifts. No, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit is a good gift. Amen? And I believe that God wants to do an incredible work through every single person in this room. I believe that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I, be I believe that God began to do a good work through them. It wasn't a weird work. It wasn't a crazy work, but a good work through them. And out of that moment, rapidly, we see the church multiplying, people coming to know Christ by the thousands at a time. That's incredible. You may be here this morning, and this idea of baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's new to you. I get that. Quite honestly, we as a church, we're kind of a melting pot of so many different backgrounds. We've got people here today that, that have no church background whatsoever. 
You just happen to come into a church. We have some that perhaps you were former Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever, and here you are this morning in this melting pot of believers, this family that we call Encounter Church. So maybe you're here and you've never really heard a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I really want to encourage you today to open up and say, God, what does this look like in my life? What does this look like personally for me? But maybe you've been around this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit your entire life. Maybe you're like me. You grew up in the Pentecostal circle. You cut your teeth on the back pew in the church, and this is all just an old hat to you. I want you to understand that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is for every single one of you, regardless of your background. How do I know that? I shared it last week. Let me share it again. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. This promise is for you, to your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Guess what? We are the ones that are far away. That's us. It wasn't talking about just a distant land, but a distant time. We are in that distant time. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for you today. So our first evidence is the initial physical evidence, the speaking in tongues, this brand new language that the Holy Spirit will give you. The second is this. You will have a noticeable vitality for God. Now that's kind of a big word. Some of you are like, I don't even know what vitality means. It's strength, it's boldness, it's energy. There'll be a new life in you, a new longing for the things of God as you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus was talking in John chapter 7, verse 37. He said this, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. little side note, he goes on in verse 39 to say, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Jesus said, there's a Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will begin to flow through you. And I wonder today what's flowing through your life. Do you have a new vitality, a new excitement, a new energy, a new boldness for the things of God? Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit will produce a brand new personality or character trait, I should say, in every one of us. Love and joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe you say, well, I struggle with one of those. I struggle with three of those. I struggle with all nine of those. Whatever that looks like in your life, the Holy Spirit wants to place inside of you this new character trait. He wants to give you a greater amount of love for your neighbor. By the way, Jesus said the greatest command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the foundation of our relationship with God. Why? Because God, by definition, is love. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit wants to place this new nature, this new demeanor inside of you. Suddenly, you're no longer the same. Your passions begin to change. Your responses will be different from what they used to be. Your work ethic should improve. You will experience more of a drive in your life. Why? Because suddenly, you begin to take the things of God more seriously. Let me give you a little disclaimer here. If you come up and tell me or tell someone in the room that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but listen carefully, but you're still acting like a jerk, you've missed the point. Come on. Come on. If you say, man, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues more than all y'all. Kind of like Paul says, right? I speak in tongues more than every one of you. I've been filled, but you're still a jerk. Something hasn't connected, right? You have this new vitality, this new boldness, this new energy, new strength in God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, And whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do in life, as a believer, as a Christian, as one that is filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever you do when you go to work, when you go to the store, when you go through your neighborhood, when you ride your bike, whatever it happens to be, whatever you do, do it as a representative for Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's a new vitality stirring inside of your life. Likewise, as you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and overflow in you, you will not be satisfied with just standing idly by. Let me say that again. When you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit takes residence and begins to move in and through you, you won't be satisfied with just going through the motions of routine and tradition and stamping that religious time card. There'll be a new excitement, a new passion of moving forward with Him. You'll discover a power like never before. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? So you can be a witness for him. It says in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What he's talking about there is in your inner circle, in that community around you, into the outskirts of town and throughout the world. It all begins with how are you living your day in and day out life? How are you communicating with your family, with your coworkers, with that inner circle that you spend time with? What are you doing to represent Jesus on a regular basis? We see this happening in Peter's life as he addresses the crowd on the day of Pentecost. Moments after our text concluded, As the crowd was bewildered, they began to come up with their own scenario of what's happening in that moment. But Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, stepped forward and addressed the crowd. He shared with them of the good news of Jesus Christ. That this infilling of the Holy Spirit was not just for the upper room, 
for, for every one of them and for the children and for those far, far away. It was Jesus that said there's a perpetual spring that will bubble on the inside. We need that spring of living water. We need that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need that new vitality for the things of God. Evidence number three is this. You will have a deeper reverence for God. Now, I know this is a little more lecture style, per se, today than normal, but it's very important that we grab a hold of all of this information so we can really have a good understanding. How many of you would rather have a clear mind of what's going on than just skim over it? Right? Right? I want to give you as biblical sound and factual truth as I possibly can. That's why we're processing through this. Number three, you have a deeper reverence for God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has already fallen on the, cr- the crowd that day. They all began to speak in an unknown language. Peter addressed the crowd. And then in verse 42 and 43, it says this, all the believers, how many of them? Not not just part of them, not just a few of them, but all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they took it seriously. There was a deepened reverence, a deeper longing for the things of God. They were showing up. They were there. They made a commitment to the things of God. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that happened, oh, if I've got time, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm giving myself to God. I'm depending upon God. I'm dedicated to God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miracles, many miraculous signs and wonders. Now notice something here. It wasn't about the manifestation. It wasn't about the emotional moments. But it was about the connection with God, the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. There was a deepened reverence for the things of God. That's what they sought after. They were in, in awe at the very presence of who God was, joining together, seeking His face, seeking this promise. But how easy it is for us to get hung up on the outward physical response and lose sight of God. Right? How easy it is to go, oh, that stuff's just weird. Or, oh, I've got to just go crazy in this moment. And God's saying, just seek me. Just ask. I want to give you all that I am. I want want you to experience all that I am. I want you to be successful in your walk with me. I want to encourage you today. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him above everything else. Let God be your number one aim. Worship him, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Well, pastor, I don't have a worship team. Sure you do. 
It's called Spotify. <laughs> Apple Music. Pandora's Box. Whatever it is. Not Pandora's Box, just Pandora. <laughs> I don't know. My kids would be like, Dad, just stop. <laughs> Get on that there Facebook. You know, anyway. No, kick on some worship music. Turn it down low and just hang out with God. Or crank it up loud and whatever you want to do. But just have moments with God. That's what I do in my office. I, I go in my office in the mornings and I, and I turn on the worship music and I, I shut the doors and I get my Bible out and I just begin to read the Bible and then I just kind of spend some time in God's presence letting Him speak into my life. Why? I need Him more today than ever before. And I guarantee you I'm going to need him more tomorrow than I did today. So what do I do? I seek first the kingdom of God. I seek his presence above everything else. As a result, allow the Holy Spirit to infiltrate every morsel of your life, bringing about this deeper reverence, this deeper longing for the things of God. Don't allow your walk with God to be a surface relationship you know what i mean with the surface relationship hey how are you doing good thanks well really they're not doing good but they didn't have that relationship to divulge that information god already knows everything about your life he just wants you to surrender it to him he already knows what you're facing. He already knows what you're going through. Well, then why doesn't he take care of it? Because he's waiting for you. I've heard it said time and time again, God's a gentleman. God's never going to force himself upon you, but he stands at the door and he knocks. The question is, are we willing to open that door and step into his presence or are we satisfied with just hanging out on the sidelines? And that's what I see happening in so many Christians' lives. You ask them, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. Mom and dad went to such and such church back in 1973, so we're, we're that. I'm not concerned about mom and dad. I'm wondering what's going on in your life. When's the last time you had a conversation with him? When's the last time you just hung out in his presence? When's the last time that you closed everything else off? And Let me be honest, that's hard sometimes. Because those games on your phone, those things are addictive. I had Candy Crush a few years ago. I had Candy Crush on my phone. And I found myself kind of going to that in spare moments to the point that I would close my eyes at night and I could see Candy Crush. <laughs> Come on, you laugh, but you're there. So you know what I did? I got rid of Candy Crush because I realized it was, a, it was a distraction in my life. First part of the year, I got rid of Facebook. I decided I don't need toxicity in my life. I don't need that stuff in my life. Wow, Facebook probably just shut us down as we're streaming online. <laughs> They're like, you don't like us? No. Nope. They pull us off. 
But what are you making the primary focus in your life? What's your go-to when you have a spare moment? Is it Candy Crush? Is it social media? Is it the Word of God? Is it spending time in prayer? What is that thing you go to? What is that focus in your life? Because the early church discovered that as they poured out their spirit, as they cried out to God, there was this deeper reverence for the things of God. What about you? What are you passionate about? Our fourth evidence is this. You will have an intensified commitment to God. You see how this thing is building as we go along? Now we've got this intensified commitment to God. You will no longer be satisfied with this casual relationship. I remember back in the 80s, there was a song out that played on the radio. It simply said this, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a casual Christian. Any of you 80s Christians out there? I don't want to live a lukewarm life. Man, how many times in my adult life has that come back to my life and to my mind? And God says, what's your choice? What what are you choosing? Acts 2, 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. There was this deeper longing and intensified commitment to the things of God. All the believers, not just the pastors, not just the leadership team, but all the believers had this deepened, intensified commitment to the things of God. But then we turn to the book of Revelation and we see one of the saddest conversations ever. Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea and he says this, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Let me pause. You're not hot or cold. In other words, you're just a casual Christian. You're just living this lukewarm life. You're just going through the motions. Jesus says, I wish that you were one or the other. I wish you were on fire for me. Or I wish you you were ice cold. Why would he want your ice cold? Because then you'd know where you were. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need anything. Wow, that sounds like America, right? And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You don't understand where you are, you're just going through the motions. This word spit, for I spit you out of my mouth, literally means to vomit or to to throw up. In other words, God detests. He can't even stomach that sort of behavior. We become so well-adjusted to society that we become room-temperature Christians. The fire that was once on the inside has become nothing more than a, a flicker, a lukewarm glow in the night. But God's saying to us today, it's time to stoke the fire. 
It's time to step up the spiritual commitment to God. It's time to allow the compelling force of the Holy Spirit to lead you to greater things with God. Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, once said this, I think that most people would like to believe that God doesn't expect too much from us. I'm not going to ask you whether that's how you feel, but most people would say that. I'd say that most Christians live as though God wants a minimal commitment from us, but is absolutely thrilled when we surprise Him and go above and beyond. As comforting as that may be, I simply don't find any hint of this in Scripture. What I see instead is God warning us again and again of the dangers of being lukewarm. He warns us against thinking we're committed when we're really not. He calls us to let go of everything we have and follow Him. I wonder, in your life, do you have this intensified commitments? Or are you happy just being a lukewarm Christian? And finally, evidence number five, and Fernando, if you will come. You will have a more active love for Jesus, His Word, and the lost. A more active love for Jesus, His Word, and the lost. This is our mission as a church, to love, reach, and empower. That's our heart, to love God with all that we are, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to reach into those around us, to make an impact in their lives, to empower them, to allow the Word of God to become alive and well inside of us, to multiply for Him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is alive, and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Are we willing to put the Word of God into action? Let me ask a very personal question. Have we as a church, or more personally, have you as an individual allowed your life to move into a place of purpose for the kingdom of God? Have you allowed the things of God to take first place in your life? If not, what's holding you back? What's keeping you from moving forward? A theologian by the name of Craig Keener once said this, the long-range consequence of this transforming experience of the Spirit was that people were converted not only through the preaching of the gospel, but through the seeing it lived. It wasn't just the early church stepping out and and Peter addressing the crowd or, or Paul addressing the crowd, but was the thousands of people as the church began to grow, individual one after another, simply sharing the life that they have with Christ. This starts by saying, Lord, here am I. 
Mark 16, the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. The word preached here, it literally means to proclaim. I don't know about you, but every one of us can proclaim. I want that to be said about this body of believers, that we went everywhere. We went to the workplace. We shared the good news. We went to the grocery store. We shared the good news. At the gas station, we shared the good news. In our neighborhood, we shared the good news. Everywhere we went, we made the message known. I want to end with this question. How are you allowing the Holy Spirit to function through you? Not through the church. Not through leadership teams. But how are you individually? How are you allowing the Holy Spirit to function through you? Do people see a difference? Do they see the presence of God in and through the life that you live? What do you share with the world? I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do an incredible work through every single person in the room today. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me today? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.